All right, I want to welcome all of you once again, and thank you for the wonderful praise on song, worship team, and uh, today we're going to continue in our sermon series on 1 Corinthians. We are very, very close now to the end of this book, but we need to conclude uh, this section on spiritual gifts. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and read the first five verses of that chapter. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14 verses 1 to 5. So in your Bibles, if you can turn with me to that passage, what we're coming off of is chapter 13, a very uh, extensive uh, descriptor and poem, as we mentioned, on the excellence of love, if you remember, right? The virtue of love and the Christian virtue of love, which Paul has been advocating all throughout 1 Corinthians. And of course, in 13, he famously gives us that wonderful poem on the Christian virtue of love. On the heels of that, we have today's passage. Now remember, the total context is he's still dealing with the spiritual gifts. So let's read together and try to understand today exactly what Paul is trying to teach us. I'll read from my Bible and you can follow in yours. This is the Word of God. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. The one who prophesies speaks to men, edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. Amen. This is the word of God. We have a lot to pray for, but let's firstly go to our Unreached People group of the day as we, of course, on a weekly basis, pray um, for mission across the world, for God's mission. The group we're praying for today are known as the Bulgarian Jews, and they live in, guess you guessed it, <laughs> Bulgaria, right? So Jews living in Bulgaria. Uh, so we're going to pray for them. There are only about 2,000 of these people, just 2,000, but still 2,000. Uh, people that are yet unreached, and only point 0.1% of them are evangelical Christians. And so we are praying for a group that are 99.9% unreached. And so we like to pray for them. Uh, they're a very old generation, so they're, most of them are seniors at this point, and so um, obviously on uh, the brink of death. And so we'd like to pray uh, that the good news would reach them, even in their latter stages of the latter stages of their life that they would come to know christ and hear his gospel faithfully Uh, we also like to continue to pray for the events and the war that is happening in ukraine at the moment of course if you are following the with the news and as you know faithful christians we ought to follow the news to some degree to just be aware of the happenings that are going on so we can continue to pray for them there are villages and towns and at this point it's all out just you know hit hit whatever you can uh for uh, Russians, Russia's army, and it's very unfortunate, right? I'm sure that's not what the soldiers would want to hit uh, and target civilians, uh, but that is what's happening, and the death count is rising on a daily. So we like to pray for, firstly, the safety of those who are there. Hopefully, they can get out as soon as possible. I know Canada is one of the leading countries in the globe today uh, that has offered safe refuge uh, for those who are leaving uh, war-torn Ukraine. Uh, Canada has uh, created a program where up to two years they can have a visa and establish you know, community and studies and jobs here. Uh, so we are opening doors for them as a nation. Uh, but of course, as a church, we must be ready to 
uh, open our doors for them as well. So we like to, we just like to pray for them, their health, their safety. Uh, we also like to pray for resolution. Let's join our hearts in prayer as we go into God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We pray, Lord Father, firstly for the Bulgarian Jews in Bulgaria. Lord, we know not much of them. Uh, we have, haven't heard much of, about them, or perhaps this is the first time we even ever heard of them. But God, we pray, Lord Father, for uh, their salvation. As all people, group needs, people groups need, um, they need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So we ask that they would come to hear it, come to know it, come to follow it, come to follow, uh, so, sorry, come to love you wholeheartedly and follow you wholeheartedly in all that they do. So Father, would you just be with them? We also pray, Lord Father, for Ukraine, the multiple Ukrainians, uh, thousands if not hundreds of thousands, or even at this point, perhaps millions of people who are fleeing the country and going to different parts of the world. Uh, we thank you for um, locally here our government's um, mandate and um, sort of leading uh, example to welcome the Ukrainians who are coming here um, and are fleeing their home country. We ask for safe refuge wherever these Ukrainians may end up and uh, hopefully uh, they're able to get back on their feet and uh, have safe homes for their families. But we also pray for what's happening in country, in their home country, and uh, unfortunate events of civilians dying and people being um, just killed uh, for needlessly at this point. And we ask, O oh Lord, for resolution and peace uh, between those nations and what's happening in Europe all across it. We thank you so much, Father. However, for your providence and sovereignty, we trust in you. We know that you are working for the, for the good of those who believe in you. We thank you so, so much, Father, and we ask that your word would convict, transform our hearts today. pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, so today's sermon is entitled, Prophecy Over Tongues. This is a um, very, 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 very misunderstood text. Like, very misunderstood. Now, if you've been following along with us throughout 1 Corinthians, you have read multiple passages, numerous passages that you have probably heard before as a Christian believer or as a churchgoer at a young age, and you've heard excerpts or at least these passages taken somewhat out of context, right? And so this is yet again another example of a passage that can easily be taken out of its context and be manipulated and used to perpetuate a different idea in regards to the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, and the spiritual gifts as a whole. So after following an extensive, extensive and slightly abrupt interruption in Paul's teaching on the spiritual gifts with a poem on love in chapter 13, Paul refocuses our attention to the matter at hand. If you recall from chapter 12, Paul is addressing the issue of spiritual gifts in Corinth and how, of course, in Corinth, they were being used to propagate an uplifting of what? One's social status or spiritual status within the church. Namely, the gift of tongues was at the center of Paul's contemplation and his exhortation throughout chapters 12, 13, and 14. Today's passage begins the conclusion to that argument and teaching. Paul starts in the opening five verses, firstly, Three things, okay? So firstly, with the reminder to pursue love. Love that he just, he's just extensively described and prescribed for the church as what? The primary motive of Christian practice in all things, including the exercising of the gifts. Now with the pursuit of love in mind, Paul condones the desiring of the gifts that the Spirit offers. We see that in verse 1 today. He does not diminish 
the power and value of the gifts. We see that in verse 5. But rather, he reminds Christians to have love as the motive for the use of those gifts. Secondly, Paul keeps all of this within a specific framework of church edification. If love is the motive, then it is the other we, ha- we ought to have in mind, not the self. Finally, the third thing, Paul teaches that it is proper to seek the gifts, but if love and edification are the goal of using those gifts, some gifts serve this purpose better than others. This is why Paul teaches us today in the passage that we have just read that the gift of prophecy is more profitable and greater for use in the function of accomplishing those things compared to what? The gift of tongues. Now, in our conclusion, we will examine the imperatives, imperatives meaning what we ought to do, like the action points, right? And see what this type of thinking means for you and I today as Christian believers who aren't exactly, at least I don't think, are debating which gift is greater, tongues or prophecy, right? I don't think I've ever heard that debate in church. But there is a heart issue that we can apply to our lives today. So three things that we're going to examine. We're going to look at verse 1, and our header is pursue love and desire the gifts in verse 1. Pursue love, desire the gifts. Point number 2, edify the church. We're going to see that in verses 2 to 4. And then finally in verse 5, our imperative is seek to prophesy. Seek to prophesy, and we'll get to what that means. So let's look at the first thing. Verse 1, pursue love, desire the gifts. Paul has broken this down nicely for us. Each section gives us a very clear imperative. The first first, the opening words of this passage is what? Two words in your English Bible, pursue love, right? I mean, that's, that's all he's been talking about in chapter 13. It makes sense that this is the very thing he, he would admonish us to pursue. It flows nicely from the previous chapter, chapter 13, that was completely in its entire construct centered on the very premise of what? Christian love. It is as if Paul is saying that since we have now heard all of these things about love, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, etc., 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 right? All of these things that you've learned and heard about love. He says, now that you know it, Pursue it. Pursue being like this. This is what you ought to be in pursuit of, is what Paul is teaching. Which is wise counsel indeed. But Paul also draws on the central point of his argument. That love is to be pursued even in the practice of spiritual gifts. Right? He says to desire earnestly spiritual gifts to truly seek them out, but for the right purpose, which is the correction he's really trying to make here, right? Why are you using these gifts? See, if you can correct that thinking, why we use these gifts and for what we use these gifts, then the method or the understanding of the gifts will be corrected. I think that's what Paul's argument is. I think that's the way he's arguing for those things I think it's pretty obvious when you read the text that that is the case, that that is what he's saying, right? Do not desire them, he is saying, for self-glory, but rather for building others up 
D.A. Carson writes this, The importance of love does not mean it should be pursued at the expense of spiritual gifts. They, too, are to be eagerly desired. Why? Because they help us to love others and to build others up. In other words, edification of the church. We've heard this before in chapter 12. So it is of no surprise, at least it shouldn't be of surprise to you and I, to see Paul echo those same sentiments here again. We are to pursue love and desire the gifts, but among these gifts, especially, he writes, the gift of prophecy. Now that might be a stark sort of statement that jumps out at you. He says, you know, I mean, I think most of us would say like it would have been appropriate to just say, you know, desire all the gifts and then end it there. But he says, especially that you may prophesy. Why does he put that there? That is a point of contention for many. This last part is inserted likely. Why? Because in the church of Corinth at the time, they were likely debating this. Which gift is the greatest? But what is, what is, that, what is the point of that question? It's not to actually know which gift is the greatest, is it? What are they actually trying to argue and debate and discern? Which of us with which of these gifts is the greatest? That is the debate, right? It's not which gift is actually the best gift to have. It's actually, well, if this is the gift that is the greatest and we can determine that, then I who possesses this gift am now the greatest. That is the issue of this church. And we'll get there at the conclusion today because I think we do this in today's church as well. We just do it with different things, right? You can probably figure it out on your own too, but we do this. We have a similar tendency of behavior, pattern of behavior existing within the church today as well. So we have to address these things, but we'll get there in the conclusion. Greatest, not sort of in this like, and we'll pause defining the greatest of the gifts, right? This, this, this last part of prophecy, right? This greatest of the gifts. It's greatest in an intrinsic sense. Greatest in the sense that the holder of those gifts will be signified as greatest among the people. That's how the Corinthians were defining greatest gift. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. There is no intrinsic greatest gift. There is no gift that makes you the greatest. There is a greatest use of these gifts for the greatest purpose. That's what you ought to pursue. This is neither, neither a pursuit of love. If you try to use these gifts in this way, Paul is arguing that this is neither a pursuit of love, which he's just told them to do, nor what he's about to tell them to do, edify the church. So it's useless in the pursuit of love and it's useless in the edification of the church. Like many things in the faith, the Christian likes to take that which is actually good for God and for others and make it good for themselves. Paul ends the debate of prophecy versus tongues, where the Corinthian would have leaned towards tongues because of its spectacular, extraordinary nature. Paul advocates for prophecy, and we will see why in the following verses. The focus remains in this first verse, the same throughout these chapters in the gifts. It is love and it is edification of others. It is the reduction of self and increase of love for others. I am reminded of how the disciples in Luke chapter 9 argued 
over who among them will be the greatest, right? And Jesus calls upon a child. He holds him in his arms symbolically because children were looked upon as the lowest of, you know, the hierarchical society of the time. Jesus teaches with this child at hand. They're in front of them. These disciples who are bickering and arguing over who among them will be the greatest. He says this to them. The one who is least among you will be the greatest. Our idea of greatest is tainted with our sinful desire to be better and above others. And we measure ourselves and our values by comparing ourselves with other people. We do this in church too. But the Bible teaches us this. Measure yourself to God. To the truth. To light. To the standard of holiness. And you know what the Bible says? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of you is the greatest. For what does it mean to you to be the greatest among the worst of this world? The only thing you're the greatest at is you're the greatest sinner. That's it. You're the greatest at not doing the greatest things. That's what you're greatest at. This should humble you. This should humble us to realize that we are no greater than anyone in this room. Anyone sitting next to you right now Anyone sitting in any church seat or pew this day, not one of us is greater than the other. But rather, it should compel you and lead you to to desire to be like the actual greatest, Christ. And what is the example of Christ? He came to serve, not to be served. He died for the sins of many. He was gentle, lowly, and humble in all things. Second point, edify the church, verses 2 to 4. After giving his admonishment for prophecy, Paul goes on to explain here exactly why he thinks that this gift is greater. And we will explain the term greater more concisely later. Compared to the gift of tongues. Why is it greater than the gift of tongues? In what sense is it greater? We need to read carefully here or we will walk away with a shallow understanding or worse, the wrong understanding and impression of what Paul is trying to convey. There is a very structured nature to his argument that we see in verses 2 to 4. It's very structured. He gives a point on tongues and then he rebuttals with a but statement on prophecy. He says, tongues is this, but prophecy is that. He does this twice in a pattern to give readers and listeners a clear contrast between these two gifts. Let's carefully examine some of the elements so that we can exegete this properly. Look, look at, I just kind of like looked at four things that'll help you understand these verses. One, the framework that Paul now gives us in understanding how to define, or I guess determine, the greatest gift, right? The greater gift. Why prophecy is the greater among the two. The framework is this. Let me remind you of the context that Paul is writing in regards to. Remember that this entire discussion on spiritual gifts is part of a larger discussion on what? He's been addressing what? 
proper practice in the gathering of the Christian church, right? From chapters 10 onward, what has he been talking about? When the church gathers, specifically, these are the things you ought to do. So remember the first thing we talked about? The head coverings. Second, the Lord's table. And here, the use of spiritual gifts in what? Specifically, the public gathering of Christian community. He's not talking about your private worship. He's not talking about what you do in your rooms or what you do alone or what you do one-on-one with God. He's saying when the people of God gather, this is the way you ought to behave. That's what he's teaching. That's the framework that you need to keep in mind as you read chapters 10 to 14. So remember that this discussion is about proper practice in the gathering of the church. Do not lose sight of this framework that Paul is working within. His argument is contained within this context. So don't take it out of that context. It is not to be applied or taken out of that context. He is addressing the use of tongues and the use of prophecy within the framework of the gathered church. Um, I'm sure this has happened to many of you, but I've been in like sort of public gatherings of the church where people have exercised the gift of tongues, where they pray uh, in and for the community or over the community, right? Or they will use the gift of tongues in a public setting. What I told them was, I don't think the Bible condones this because of this very passage, because of these very chapters. And their argument against me was, well, look at the text. Look what it says. It says, Paul says, he wishes that we all spoke in tongues. He admonishes these things. He encourages the gift of tongues. Why then would it not be allowed, right, in, to be used? He clearly allows its usage. We're not arguing its usage or non-usage. We're talking about non-interpreted tongues being used in a public form of worship, a public gathering of God's people. That's the specific context. What you do on your own, one-on-one with God, in your morning QTs or your devotions or your Bible reading or your personal prayer time, that's between you and God. Right? And Paul kind of adheres to that, right? He says, one who prophesies speak oh sorry in his uh for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God for no one understands but in his spirit he speaks mysteries but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification exhortation consolation one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself right so why then would you bring that into the public sphere is Paul's concern that's the framework because the question from Corinth is this very thing when we gather, is this okay? Tongues. There is an extremely important distinction that must be made as you read the, these verses and the, the rest of this chapter, really. Paul is not comparing all uses of tongues, as I've just mentioned, versus prophecy. Paul is comparing specifically uninterpreted tongues. Not interpreted tongues. If there was interpreted tongues, I don't think Paul would have concern. Because it does the same thing as prophecy. I would argue this. Prophecy is interpreted tongues. Right? Like prophetic teaching of God's word. Public teaching that is comprehensible, intelligible, and understandable to the people of God in a language and a vernacular that makes sense as I speak to you. Right? Like I'm speaking in English. You understand English. You understand what I'm talking about, hopefully. And you comprehend it. There's no problem. This is 
just me sharing in a language that you and I share in. When it's uninterpreted, that is Paul's issue. So he's specifically talking about uninterpreted tongue versus prophecy. This is a key distinction in unlocking and understanding the teaching of this text. Some have taken his words too far to mean he's talking about all tongues, all uses of tongues, are, and that the, all of the gift of tongues is not profitable, when in fact Paul is not saying that. He's actually promoting the gift of tongues as a gift. He does not diminish the gift itself. He's cautioning believers on using this gift uninterpreted in public worship because if left uninterpreted it does not accomplish what the purpose of edifying the church simply because there's a logistical problem nobody understands what you're talking about <laughs> right what if i came up here okay i gotta make sure no one speaks did anyone speak like spanish what if I just started speaking Spanish for the rest of the sermon? Are you going to get anything out of that? All you're going to get out of that is, wow, Max is really good at Spanish, right? But you wouldn't get anything out of that. Those of you who grew up in immigrant churches, didn't you hate it when you had to go to the adult joint service and he's preaching in Korean? You have no idea what the heck he's saying, right? So what is this crazy lingo? <laughs> like, and then the interpreter tries to interpret it for you, right? Like the translator. The translation is usually really bad, right? It just takes away from the prophetic work of God's word being preached to people, to God's people. It doesn't accomplish that. So it must not be left uninterpreted. That is the specific gift, the uh, specific point of the gift that Paul is addressing. Secondly, prophecy. People have asked, what does he mean by prophecy then? If this is the specific definition of tongues he's talking about, then what about prophecy? On that note, prophecy stands in contrast to the uninterpreted tongue. It is intelligible and comprehensible to the hearer. There is no interpreter needed with this gift. Prophecy is a general category of skills that include general teaching, the general witness of Christ, the speaking of truth to God's people, and even pastoral preaching as you see it today. It is the proclamation of God's word by the mouth of God's servant for the sake of God's people. When we share with one another the things we are learning, the testimonies we are experiencing, and the gospel that we are living out, we are exercising to one another the gift of prophecy. Finally, the imperative of this text, these verses 2 to 4. What is Paul getting at then? The little, the, oh, sorry, not the little, the title of this header should have been the dead giveaway. If not the text itself. But the imperative here is simple. Edify the church. When gathered as the community of God, seek in this community, in all that we do, to edify one another. What do we mean by edify? For those of you who might not be familiar with the Christian lingo here, it means to build each other up. What does it mean to build each other up? Those of you who've read 1 Corinthians with me, in the very early chapters of this book, what did it read? Edifying or building up the church is what? It's like that of building a house on the firm foundation of Christ. It is to 
grow each other, to mature one another in Christ, to become like Christ, to uphold one another, to teach one another, to correct and rebuke one another so that they would be more like Christ. That's what Paul is asking us to seek. Paul has already established in chapter 12 that there is a clear singular purpose behind the vast variety of gifts. And that purpose is to love, to build up, and to edify. If that is the case, seek the gifts that accomplish this task the best. That is what Paul is saying. You might ask, I thought all the gifts are given for this reason anyway. So why would one do this task better than the other? Why would one gift accomplish this task better than the other, right? Good question. The answer is that they all have this function in mind to love and to edify. But remember the framework. What's the framework? Paul is speaking specifically about the application of these gifts in public or corporate worship. He is also talking specifically about the comparison between uninterpreted tongues and prophetic prophecy. Tongues is given as a gift for the purpose of edification, but uninterpreted tongues in public worship ceases to be able to serve that purpose because uninterpreted tongues is not designed for public use. It's just not designed for that. It is to be used in what? Private. So Paul says, tongues is good, but do it privately. It's good for what? To build oneself up. So that's why he, re- he wrote, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It helps to build oneself up, not others. It doesn't build oneself up in pride, but in relationship with the Lord. So comparing the two, we see that prophecy is the greater gift in serving the function of the gifts in the context of the gathered church. Finally, seek to prophesy. Verse 5. There is no room for misunderstanding in this last verse for anyone who has read the following four verses, right? The previous four verses, the preceding four verses, properly. And I hope we've done that. I hope I've exegeted that properly for you. The first four verses, if you've read it carefully, you can sensibly read the last verse. But many people don't, okay? Paul gives his advocacy for the gift of tongues. He, right, I read for you, verse 5, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. I've met many charismatics who've argued on the premise of this one verse, and I say to them all the time, read the first four verses, please. (laughs) All you got to do is just turn your head left, like just a tiny bit, or where, you know, whatever, however your Bible's constructed. For me, it's left, but maybe just, just a little up, right? Just raise your eyes a little bit up, and you'll see clearly what Paul is saying. But they just read verse five. I wish that you all spoke in tongues. See? Paul is for tongues, right? Ay, yeah, yeah, right? We can't, it's a terrible reading of the Bible. But Paul gives his advocacy for this gift. Absolutely, that's true. But like previous statements, many people take this statement too far. That he desires all to speak in tongues means the gift of tongues is fully, like in all contexts, to be used. But we've seen this wording before, haven't we? Careful Bible readers fellow brothers and sisters of mine, we've seen this wording before. Where have we seen this? Chapter 7, on the topic of what? Celibacy, singleness. Remember that? Paul desired in that chapter that all people would be what? 
single like himself. So I always tell people, like, if you ever run into a charismatic who says, see, verse 5 of chapter 14 says, now I wish that all these spoke in tongues. See, everyone should seek the gift of tongues. So you should pray for the gift of tongues. You should pray for the gift of tongues. Everyone should pray for the gift of tongues. You know what I say to them? Okay, let's read chapter 7. Paul desires that all of us be celibate and single. What about you? Why don't you pray for celibacy, right? It doesn't work that way. If you read it in context, that's just not how the argument flows, right? Careful reading, we see what? Paul desired then that all people would be single like himself, but only in the sense he knows that not all will be gifted with celibacy and share in his experience. He finds it so fulfilling that he desires it for other people. It doesn't mean he is prescribing it for all people, and that's okay. He readily admits in his own writing in chapter 12 that some, not all, have the gift of tongues. And some have the gift of prophecy, some have the gift of teaching, some have the gift of healing, etc. This is for a segment of Christendom, a segment of the church population. That doesn't mean we ought not to desire that all Christian men and women share in all of the gifts. I, for example, wish that all of you sitting here today would become frontier missionaries, sharing the gospel in the most unreached places of the world. I desire that for you, but I know this, that this will not be the calling for all of you. But I desire that for you, because I think it would be a life well lived. Where you are now is fine too, as long as it is lived out for the Lord. But in light of, con of condoning the gift of tongues and acknowledging its validity in the Christian practice, it would be greater in Paul's perspective in the context of public worship for them to have and exercise the gift of prophecy. He has already extensively explained why that is for the purpose of edification. But let us make clear this term, finally, greater. What does he mean by greater? To this, I yield to Thomas Schreiner, and he writes, The word greater does not mean that the one who prophesies is essentially greater. It clearly means functionally greater, in the sense that the one who prophesies builds up and strengthens the church more than does the one who speaks in uninterpreted tongues. What makes one gift greater than the other in the context of corporate gathering is how it serves to build others up, how it most effectively functions for the purpose of love. To that, Paul says, prophecy over tongues. I conclude with this, and it's just a few questions I want to thrust your way for you to think about and ponder, not just today, but for the rest of this week and perhaps even for the rest of your church life. Ponder these questions. What does this mean for us today is the question I sat with for Thursday to Saturday. I just thought about this. What does this mean for us today? Does it need to mean something in the imperative sense? Paul's imperative is simple enough, isn't it? Regardless of whether or not this debate exists between tongues and prophecy for us today in the church, we are to seek to prophesy to one another. That seems to be clear in the text. We are to seek gifts in our lives that serve the grand purpose of what? Loving our brothers and sisters, edifying them, and building them up. 
I think this is a fantastic opportunity then for us this day to examine ourselves. So examine yourself with me. If you need to close your eyes and just kind of blot out the world, you can do this. But as we assess and examine, I want you to assess these two things. These, ask these two questions, okay? How can I use what I have, this life I have, these gifts I have, these talents I have, to love and edify brother and sister? That's the first question I want you to ask. And you might think that's a really easy, simple question, right? But I'm talking specifically, how can I use these gifts to best serve the purpose of edification in the church? Secondly, what can I ask of the Lord to gift me today that I may love and edify the church better? So if you're sitting here going, I don't know what my gifts or talents are, seek gifts and talents that you would be able to love and edify. So in both questions, the central focus is how can I best love and edify? Where the first question examines the gifts known and the second examines the gifts desired. And I think this heart sums up what Paul is trying to get at for the Corinthians. For you see, although the gift of prophecy is greater than tongues, it is not intrinsically greater. It can be greater if only used for the right purpose. Even though, so, but we must argue than this, the gift of prophecy then could actually be lesser if what? Not used for the purpose of edification and love. So let's take some time to examine our hearts, our giftings, our lives, the skills we want, the skills we have, and ask these questions to the Lord in contemplation and reflect on God's teaching to us today. Let's pray.